I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90-minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, we're joined by Alex to Dr. Witt, curator at Short of the Week, writer for publications such as Sight & Sound, Time Out, The Telegraph, and more. Hello, Alex. Hi. How was the intro? It was bang on, because I lifted from the Twitter profile. <laughs> basically <laughs> copy and pasted from, from the Twitter profile. <laughs> yeah, that's me basically. So film journalist with a, a big love for animation in particular, and short films, really short films, shorter than nine minutes, let alone 90, <laughs> which is where a lot of the most interesting animation is being made still today. The only thing I'd add is uh, I'm a reporter for Cartoon Brew as well, so we cover the animation industry, so... Yeah, I keep I keep an eye on what's going on, especially in Europe. You wear a lot of hats. <laughs> yeah, a lot of quite small hats, yeah. <laughs> so as a curator and a, and a film journalist mm. who specialises in animation, do mm. you feel that this, this part of film is sometimes sidelined against live-action cinema, which seems to get more column inches? Yeah, definitely. It's something that kind of differs from country to country. It's, it's pretty striking to see how animation, kind of, what its status is. And, for example, France, which has a very long rich tradition of bidi which is basically graphic novels and comic strips which then kind of fed into a, a, a quite a broad appreciation of animation in japan you've got obviously a huge culture of anime there which is used for all kinds of purposes like i've seen a serialized retelling of the bible in anime wow. um, which was done you know in full-on kind of dragon ball z style versus the uk america i mean generalizing hugely i feel like sometimes here there is a certain kind of, I don't know, expectation from animation, you could call it even a prejudice sometimes, that it's going to be for kids. Um, sometimes I see animated films that are patently not just for kids reviewed as if they are. There's definitely a bias there, and I've struggled occasionally to pitch articles about animation where I feel like there's a really exciting artist or subject that should be covered that isn't. And then short film is a whole other thing. I mean, there's plenty of bias against that as well. And given that a lot of the richest animation exists there, given that a lot of the greatest animators will never even aspire to make a feature film, mm. inevitably you're going to miss out on a lot if you don't keep an eye on short films. So, Alex, what did you choose for the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest? So the film I picked is Dumbo, the original. Disney's fourth animated classic. Experience the daring adventures of the world's only flying elephant with a dazzling digital restoration and brilliant Disney-enhanced high-definition theatre mix sound. The inspirational tale of Dumbo, the courageous baby elephant who uses his sensational ears to soar to fame with the help of his clever best friend, Timothy Q. Mouse, will thrill and delight audiences of all ages. And now the award-winning music and empowering messages about friendship and belief in yourself reach new heights in this must-have Blu-ray high-definition presentation of Walt Disney's animated classic, Dumbo! It's quite oh, some uh, marketing copy on the back of the DVD there. Spare me. <laughs> Couple of problems with that. Yeah. Firstly, did you notice it says fourth animated classic? So yeah, it is the fourth animated feature that Disney put out, but mm. they've just completely whitewashed the whole history of 
shorts. If you include those, it would be like the, I don't know, the 20th or something. We're talking about how shorts and features are sort of marketed. Even Disney, who yeah. have a legacy of shorts, have yeah. not acknowledged that. No, no, no. They don't, yeah, they've suppressed it. Very generic marketing spiel aside, I think there's maybe one line about plot in this. Yeah. <laughs> and it is a film with a 63 minute runtime. Plot maybe isn't its main focus. I think it's, it's sort of building a world and there's a few it's sort of almost set up like a series of sketches or sort of amusing mm. incidents. And then there is a through line sort of towards the end. What Disney does really well, what, what Disney did well, especially back then, and this is the influence of Walt Disney himself, is that they took stories which were already kind of like fable-like in their structure and kind of boiled down to kind of essential emotions and conflicts. And then they just paired away loads and loads of redundant stuff. I mean, what's really interesting is on these bonus features, you can see the scripts and the kind of discussions that they had in the studio about the story. And you can see them pairing away, you know, bringing a 102-page script or whatever it is down to a 60-page script, down to a 40-page script. They go further than ever with Dumbo. They really, like, the story is, as you say, 63. I think it's actually 61 minutes. Oh, wow. on my version. <laughs> it, it, it's so, it, yeah, it's so simple. The story is so kind of, yeah, just straightforward that they leave a lot of room for characterization. Scenes where the animals are interacting in ways that don't necessarily drive the narrative. Songs as well, which only slightly drive the narrative, if at all, which create these kind of rich inner lives for the characters. Not all of them. Some are basically just archetypes and no more. But Dumbo, there's a lot of reality in him, even if he doesn't say a word. It sort of almost feels like an experiment to me. And, and uh, you know, they, they want to create something which will entertain an audience for mm. an hour or so. But as an animation studio, I think they're doing quite a lot of stuff in there. Like mm. they've got a, a mute main character mm. who's incredibly emotive. Mm. Just those eyes mm. say so much, which yeah. is quite interesting. And it's, they've, they've adapted this from a story which isn't, hugely well known no. whereas the previous films before this Snow White and Seven Dwarves and Pinocchio are folk yeah. tales which people would probably recognise the names of even if they don't know the ins and outs yeah. there's also Fantasia which is a different colour yeah. of fish <laughs> but this I think is based on a, a on a book that was published in like 1939 and Walt Disney right. as he used to do you know just bought the rights to it so it, this is introducing a brand new character to the world I think it's it must be the first feature film they made based on a not European source material because they were initially looking towards you know, Hans Christian Andersen and those kinds of fairy tales. And then with Dumbo, if I remember correctly, it was published initially as a thing called a roller book. So these two basically unknown writers, kind of jobbing writers and journalists from New York State, wrote this very simple story about the elephant with the big ears who learned to fly and then kind of licensed it to this inventor who'd come up with a roller book technology, which is basically... I think they don't even, there's no like extant copies of this anymore. So what it is, is a box with a window through which kind of illustrated panels with a bit of text scroll as you kind of turn a knob and the different panels show kind of different chapters of the story. Wow. So it's almost like a proto, well, it's, it's, it's got something of a kind of film strip in mm. it already built into the original format of the, of the book. It was also published, I think it's just a normal book. But the weird thing is that they've, they've all disappeared, all these copies. Like you think of Disney as being super protective of their intellectual property. And yet, here they had a roller book thingy which they based a film on, which they presumably had with them in the studio, mm. and which is now, as far as I could tell, it's disappeared. I couldn't find any record of it in the British Library or online or on Amazon or anything.
when I was watching this lovely restored Blu-ray, it just struck me. I'm watching a film from 1941. Yeah, yeah, And it yeah. looks incredible. Yeah. But it doesn't look like the Disney films that people see now. It doesn't have the same sort of music styles. It has a different distributor's label at the front, even. Yeah, it's released yeah. by RKO Pictures. Uh, yeah. It's before Disney does, you know, every bit of the business. And the music, especially, whilst the animation looks like it was made yesterday, because mm. it's so clean and beautifully restored, the music is 1940s style, which sort of surprised me a bit because yeah. I'm, I'm just in a very modern Disney head at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really different. I mean, what, what they did l recent, I mean, I grew up with a kind of what they call like the second golden age, I guess. So mm. the Lion King, Aladdin and so on. The sort of Broadway style. Yeah, the Broadway uh, style. Big <laughs> tunes, great tunes. Tunes that the characters sing, kind of diegetic tunes in that way. Mm. In the old Disney films, those were a lot rarer and the, there were songs, but they tended to just play on the soundtrack to kind of illustrate or in, or like enhance the emotions or the story but the characters themselves didn't really sing them i don't think in dumbo there's only the the crow song really it's mm. the only one which is sung in the film the songs are like you said the songs are used more like a soundtrack to show what something else is happening on screen and it's just yeah. to help plot pass yeah, uh, during yeah. a montage or or, or something <laughs> but it, but yeah i mean it allows for a very different kind of music you have because you don't always have necessarily a lead singer a character kind of bringing up the front and with the mic in the hand it, you get these kind of beautiful like choral songs with a lot of harmonies and kind of hazy textures and Dumbo's just got yeah it's got some great stuff it won I think it won an Oscar for its score it won I think it's maybe an Oscar which isn't there now for something to do with music or song but it also won an animation prize at the Cannes Film Festival Did which it? I don't even think Cannes does an animation prize anymore it was the no. second edition of the Cannes Film Festival in 1947 because there was a war in Europe so the release got delayed uh, but it went to the second edition and won best animation achievement really and, and I'd love to know when that finished <laughs> I'd love to know when that finished I mean Cannes span off a festival which became Annecy at some point. So I don't know when that happened and I don't know if that changed the way that can treated animation officially. Maybe other filmmakers felt threatened. You sort of see that with the Oscars when Beauty and the Beast yeah. goes and it's nominated yeah, for Best yeah. Picture. Like, oh, <laughs> let's yeah. have a special award. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it freaks people out. It happened with Up as well. <clears throat> Here is a baby with eyes of blue, straight from heaven, right to you. Or, straight from heaven, up above, here is a baby for you to love. Sign here, please. The music is great in Dumbo. There's that song where the train, who's kind of anthropomorphized, the train that carts the circus all around the southern US, is going up a hill and it's kind of straining and the, the chugging starts turning into a kind of, I know I can, I know I can, I think I can, I know I can, and then it crests the hill goes back down and going, I knew I could, I knew I could, I knew I could. <laughs> that's, I think that's that, sh that short filmmaking technique coming yeah. into it, though, which I, I really love. And, and yeah. Disney features don't often have that. Like, it feels very cartoony, which is maybe a little bit reductive, but uh, they're using no, no, everything yeah. on screen to yeah. tell the story, whether yeah. it needs to be a singing train or, you know, lots of animals coming in or, or showing, like, they have sort of worldview map at the beginning when the storks are flying over America yeah. and you see all the state outlines and stuff. And, and it's yeah. just really economical yeah. to show so much detail on screen. And I just don't feel like even Disney sort of, they were, a lot of the animations are very serious and there's lifelike mm. humans in them and people are sort of yeah. like, you know, there's, there's life models and rotoscope and, and sort of things for reference. But this, this is very on the cartoon side of things. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I think since Disney's gone on this kind of remake bender in the last couple of years and decided to make loads of 
versions of its classics which people call photorealist or some mm. people even call live action you know confuses things even more i think what what's what that's done is create a kind of opposition between the photorealist ones now and the cartoon ones back then and that obscures the fact that disney films the, the cartoon ones in quote marks the classics from the 30s 40s all the way up to the 90s themselves already kind of exhibited this huge range of realism or like fidelity to how things actually move so just take a really good example is Bambi it was being made at the same time as Dumbo and Bambi cost a bum because the studio was they were just wasting loads of money well wasting is maybe not the right word but you know from a business standpoint mm. trying to nail the realism of how deer move and other animals as well and like they they, they nailed it <laughs> the result is like a masterpiece of naturalistic animation but it cost a bum from snow white onwards they've been slowly building up towards that kind of style with bambi and then with dumbo they pulled back realizing that actually they had to start being a bit kind of a bit more careful with money so they were like we're going to make a cartoony a cartoony film in which there's a lot less detail in the characters faces and body language as well the circus animals you see at the start of dumbo look a lot more like the animals that pop up in the forest in Snow White yeah. than they do like the ones in Bambi. The animation term is kind of squash and stretch, the way that the characters move, that the animators are not hamstrung by the ways that muscles and skeletons would actually... Yeah, there's a lot of movement which is like they don't have skeletons. <laughs> yeah, they basically don't, yeah, exactly. They're just like, you know... Well, there's actually a line in, in, in the film, Dumbo, where the clowns are kind of disparaging Dumbo behind his back. And one of them kind of says, poor Dumbo, you know, he's... He's, he's having a really rough time. And the other clown says, come on, elephants don't have feeling. They're just made of rubber. <laughs> and that is basically a comment, a kind of meta comment on how Dumbo's being animated almost. Because Dumbo does stretch a little bit like rubber. And he has to. This fits the story. The story mm. is about circus performers. And the tricks they do, which are completely unfeasible in real circuses, like the, the pyramid of pachyderms. It's oh, yeah. all, all the elephants <laughs> kind of like, mount on top of each other. Those kind of big action set pieces in the film would be unanimatable if the elephants behaved anything like real elephants. And yeah, that's one of the problems with the Dumbo remake. I mean, one of the many yes. <laughs> <laughs> will be here for way more than 90 minutes if I, if I start listing them. But yeah, it's, it's a cartoony style for a cartoony story and a cartoony setting. So it really works well, I think. Absolutely. And I and I, I sort of don't think people remember that necessarily, no. like looking at it now, because this is a film which has is sort of always been available on DVD and Blu-ray and a lot yeah. of children grew up with it. I, I don't often sort of see it championed as much as, you know, uh, sort of the classic films from the 50s or even the earlier mm. films, Pinocchio, and which people talk about being so dark and so grown up and Snow White, you know, as being such an achievement. But Dumbo, yeah. I feel like it gets overlooked. And I wonder if it is due to the cartoon sort of style of the film. Well, Snow White will always have a big place in history because it was the first mm. one that Disney made. It was the first animated feature that really made a big splash in the world. Pinocchio and Bambi take the kind of art to new levels. Pinocchio has these ridiculously detailed backgrounds and effects with the storms and the rain and the whale at the end. Bambi goes even further than Pinocchio in that respect. Fantasia is just bonkers and, you know, it kind of mm. stands on its own. And Dumbo maybe has the the least obvious charms of all those films but i really appreciated watching it for this podcast because i mm. think i found some charm in there and and i think it's it's sort of a treasure trove of of sort of animation goodies mm. uh, which is maybe a little bit overlooked 
Yeah. Especially, you know, as you mentioned, it the studio maybe had a bit more freedom with this film, even though it was made on a comparatively shoestring budget. Yeah. They got to try these things out. And yeah. We got to see it on a big screen and enjoy it. This is the thing. If you re- read the history of Disney at this stage, Disney Studios, Snow White had been a huge hit. Pinocchio and Fantasia hadn't. It lost them a lot of money. So they really had to be careful. They made it on a budget of around six or seven hundred thousand dollars. Which I adjusted that before before coming here I did the little like inflation adjustment. Mm. And it's it costs like even if you once you've adjusted it, it costs a tenth of what the Tim Burton one made. Really? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> another yeah, another problem with that. But they made a virtue of the fact that they had to be cheap. And I think the film is stronger for that. Because yeah, it it focuses on the characterization and just the kind of moods of despair and threat and motherly love and cuts out almost everything else except the pink elephants on parade yeah <laughs> <laughs> like where where that fits in is a kind of yeah we could talk about that for for yonks but well, i think we i think we should get onto it though because yeah. it is uh it's one of this like you say you know when you describe dumbo's people it's yeah. like oh is that one with the pink elephants yeah <laughs> and it is quite i love it when filmmakers are economical it's you know part of this podcast for sure and you know we need we don't need that for story reasons yeah. or financial reasons or sometimes both yeah. and we can actually just lift it out and the pink elephant scene i think you could almost lift it out but it does bridge between two sort of major locations in the film mm. and if you didn't have the scene he Dumbo sees these pink elephants because he gets drunk. Baby elephant is drinking champagne one night or something fizzy, and then he wakes up in a tree the next morning. <laughs> yeah, he had a rough uh, one. <laughs> it's quite funny when you say it out loud. It's a Disney uh, film about a baby elephant, but uh, he gets pissed one night and he wakes yeah, up in yeah. a tree. He would hang over yeah. his best mate round his uh, round his shoulders. Yeah, yeah, he hits it really hard. I mean, by accident. It should be you know we need to stress that he doesn't. He he drinks water that's spiked with champagne and yes, he doesn't realise. Yes. One of the uh, clowns uh, yeah, tips yeah. some champagne into his drinking water. <laughs> yeah, the clowns are wrong-ins in this film. I mean, they're freaky as hell right from the beginning. They barely look like humans. They're mm. almost like a species unto themselves. They drop champagne into the bucket. Dumbo drinks it. Next thing you know, he's hallucinating. It, I mean, he's he's tripping out. He's tripping out hard. Like Let's be honest, he's seeing pyramids he's seeing eyeballs floating around he's seeing pink elephants playing jazz and it's just like a it's a kind of great big kind of churn of surrealist imagery which was pretty popular i guess at the time there was always that kind of surreal streak in early disney i mean fantasia is kind of pink elephants just strung out over (laughs) over an hour and a half here take a trunk full listen little fella we may have had a lot of hard luck up till now, which you and me is gonna do big things together. Hold your breath. Why, your mother's gonna be so proud of you. I'm gonna be proud of you too. The whole circus is gonna be proud of you. Now, what do you think of that? Swallow it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, they can't keep us down. Uh, Walt, Walt Disney wasn't really involved in, in this film. For the first time, he just kind of let his trusted animators do what they want. And he brought in a lot of at, at this stage, there were quite a few, there was this kind of faction within studio of animators from the East Coast, New York and other places like it, who had this kind of strange, slightly kind of more, much more caricatural style than the the West Coast guys. Mm. And a lot of them were put on Dumbo because, you know, they were new to the studio, they cost less, they were seen as less experienced. But you can definitely see a lot of that slightly kind of absurdist aesthetic coming through in it. Disney in this kind of, dire financial state still felt like they were able to indulge 
mm. at least that far. You know, Dumbo with the Pink Elephants on Parade is considered a safe film by Disney standards of those days. And now the studio is so much more financially secure. You know, it's just bought out Fox. It owns like half of the highest grossing films ever, mm. whatever the figure is. And yet its remakes are so tame. I mean, just the idea of a remake already is like the opposite of... Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not the Disney that would from this era. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> it seems it seems kind of random and surreal at first, but watching it carefully, I start wondering. I mean, there's definitely someone somewhere who's done a Freudian analysis of it, <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably the only Freudian analysis of a of an elephant's mind ever performed. But, <laughs> but there seems to be a lot of imagery of violence and oppression going on in that sequence. There's a lot of like giant elephants stomping on tiny mm. elephants and smashing each other with symbols and so on. And because it's Dumbo's hallucination, well, it's also the mouse's, but, you know, definitely... Shared hallucination. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of it's definitely coming from Dumbo's adult brain. You wonder whether this is almost the film's kind of oblique way of trying to communicate some of the emotions <laughs> that are going on in, in like poor Dumbo's mind. It don't make sense. I mean, it's it's a really powerful bit of storytelling because it's it's a couple of minutes long or three or four minutes long, yeah. and it, it does sort of tell you quite a lot. In, in, if you look at it, like people, they're elephants who look like clowns. Yeah, a lot of it, and he's just done a huge number with clowns. Yeah, yeah, who are intimidating to him. They put him on top of a burning building. <laughs> yeah. And I guess he's the other elephants are outcasts for him as well. So elephants are quite scary figures. They they don't yeah. like Dumbo, the the grown up elephants in the circus. Yeah, the clowns are sort of taking advantage of Dumbo, and it's yeah. the two of them literally mashed together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. It, it feels like because at face value, the the message of the last couple of scenes is strange. It's like get wasted and you'll find your true self. Basically, <laughs> Dumbo gets drunk, has the pink elephant hallucination, and then after that wakes up in a tree and that's when he realizes he can fly and he's redeemed and all of these things. Which so, is the synopsis on the back of the box. Yeah, which takes exactly, about 40 yeah. minutes of this 61 minute movie to Yeah, they <laughs> really spoil it to you. Yeah. I mean, the cover spoils it because you see Dumbo flying. <laughs> but the way I, I like to see it, I don't know if this is intended, but it's almost like Dumbo drinks and then has this kind of transformative moment where he purges all of the emotions that he's been feeling. <laughs> it almost, you know, it puts you in mind of people taking ayahuasca and kind of confronting all of their <laughs> worst fears and then coming out on the other side a stronger person. Because if you look at Dumbo, the film on the whole, Dumbo the elephant kind of skips that stage of taking stock. If you look at Simba, for example, if you look at Aladdin or Bambi, they all have traumas or they all lose something mm. and then they kind of go away and take some time out and learn a few life lessons and go through a few rites of passage and then come back more mature and ready to you know show down with the baddie and accept whatever is due to them dumbo doesn't really have that no he's a baby at the start he's basically a baby at the end he doesn't physically grow he still can't speak at the end and yet somehow he finds a way to fly and grow and have the kind of happy ending that that all disney characters deserve buys a very posh train for his mom he buys a, yeah he buys a really posh train yeah <laughs> <Somehow>. <laughs> she, she comes straight out of prison it's like god it's 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 a pretty jaundiced view of the criminal system where she you know dumbo's mum's been locked up because she's seen as a mad and violent elephant for defending her son and as soon as he becomes a hit because he can fly she's released yep. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's going on? I mean, th this whole coda is squashed into about 
two minutes, I think, at the end. And if anything, if there's one flaw with the storytelling in Dumbo, I think it's that. It's just too, the third act is too short. Yes, you're not You're not entirely sure what's happened after he's learnt to fly. But it's good, basically. <laughs> Timothy Mouse is a, is a Hollywood mogul. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess it, it does come down to that sort of economic stuff in there. But I, I sort of, again, I sort of admired it. I was like, when he wakes up in the tree, I'm like, why are we here now? Oh, because we have to be. Yeah. And that's a great bridging scene. The story, I think, mostly takes place in that last sort of 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. this back of the box thing, the, the famous thing Dumbo is, is sort of famous for there. And actually, he meets sympathetic characters for the first time. Yeah, yeah, the crows. The crow scene comes in for a lot of controversy. Just to recap, the crows, there's, there's four or five of them, and they are quite obviously stand-ins for African-American entertainers. And they don't do much to kind of advance or embellish the received ideas of what African-Americans were supposed to do back then, which is basically, you know, kind of like wisecracking, jive-talking, mm. vaudeville people. It, it's difficult because it's, it's clearly insensitive and to add insult to injury they they cast a white actor in the role of the the main crow the, the, yeah the lead lead the, crow the, the, lead, lines. The, the lead guy <laughs> who has all the lines i think the other crows are voiced by black actors i'm not sure but no i think that's true and that's one of um when people discuss this they're like well let's not forget that actually it's yeah. the first voice acting job for african-american actors in, in an animation like this and i think some of the dance moves are modeled on real black entertainers mm. and then the, yeah there's also I, I read somewhere i mean you don't actually i think you don't actually learn this in the film so it's not a problem with the film as such but they name the lead crow jim crow yeah <laughs> i kept reading about that online but like in the film i don't think it ever comes up yeah i wonder it must come from the script or the treatment or something mm. but but it's not in the film but still like don't call him that no. <laughs> so there's yeah i mean it's complicated i think i'm sure the disney storytellers and animators thought that they were giving a quite sympathetic and rounded portrayal of african-americans because these characters are not just and there's other disney films from the time like there's a short film called um, who killed cock robin mm. which depict african-americans as just these like simpering like brain dead criminals it's just awful awful to watch and this and dumbo compared to that you know the crows are these quite rich thoughtful characters who help dumbo I'm sure the animators, you know, the storytellers thought they were doing a good thing and would be aghast to think that they're racist. But, you know, the time was completely different. The film more generally is really quite attuned to the this theme of tolerance, I guess, of people who are different mm. to you in the way that the, the animals engage in a lot of kind of catty kind of speciesism towards each other. Yeah. Which in the concept when the animals are anthropomorphized like they are here, it's basically racism. You know, it's talking about or kind of yeah chauvinism so like just to give an example like there's a bit where the crow calls mouse the mouse a rat and he's mm. like i ain't no rat i'm yeah. a mouse damn it <laughs> also in that, that crushing scene in the middle where the the gossipy horrible ele elephants who bully dumbo kind of whisper to each other have you heard you know what they've made dumbo apparently he's a clown oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's these hierarchies in the yeah <laughs> there are hierarchies and and the film shows up the cruelty of those hierarchies and the absurdity of it. Hmm. You know, the elephants literally vote to cast Dumbo out and renounce his status as an elephant. They hmm. say, he is no longer an elephant. And then they place all their trunks on top of each other, like, you know, like you would do with hands. So it's a film, in a way, about racism and xenophobia and its problems. But the film kind of also, to some extent, succumbs to stereotyping, not always consciously. Use the magic feather! Catch you The magic feather? Yeah, I got you. 
Whoa! Look! Have I got it? The magic feather! Now you can fly! So Alex, why did you choose Dumbo for the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest? Yeah, I mean, the simple reason is because I saw it again in the run-up to seeing the remake. And, like, I've dropped some heavy hints that I don't like the remake. And while watching it, I thought, not only is this bad, but all the bad things about it highlight something good about the original. So, whereas the new one is completely bloated and loads of redundant characters, the original is very tight and stripped back. Whereas the new one has this kind of bland, syrupy score. The original has really atmospheric music. Whereas the new one has a poor, an animation style that's poorly suited to the story. The original is a perfect fit. Mm. So it just made me kind of nostalgic, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said earlier, I mean, the, the, the original Dumbo of all of those original masterpieces is the one that gets the least love, I think. The... It's the least attention, so I wanted to talk about it. And it's just such a good illustration of what you're doing at the podcast, which is looking for stuff that's under 90 minutes. I mean, this is 61 minutes. I've seen YouTube videos that are longer than that. <laughs> yes, incredibly, because like you do, we talked about, you know, sort of the structure of the story, but it is still a story and there is still a character you're very sympathetic towards. And he has a beginning and a, and a middle and an end, very, very quick end, maybe. But, but he sort of do all of that stuff. And, and it's incredible that this, this, you know, you can do, achieve that in this runtime. Yeah, you know? I think, I mean, a lot of it's to do with the animation because there's so little talking mm. so little dialogue that a lot of it a lot of the characterization falls on the shoulders of the animators and in particular there's an there was an animator called bill Titler who animated a lot of the scenes with dumbo and his mother and he's he's just a, a genius there's one scene in particular that i'm thinking of right now which is when the circus marches into a new town and there's a whole parade of all the animals and little dumbo's bringing up the rear oh, yeah and he's trying to keep up you know he can barely do that but he's kind of like happy and innocently marching along. And then he looks around at the crowds and he's briefly overwhelmed and you see his eyes just expand. And then he's immediately distracted by something else. And within one second, he's grinning again. And then he slips in mud and falls over and looks really downcast. And all of that happens in the space of four seconds. And Tytler, the animator, he modeled these expressions on his own toddler, his own oh. two-year-old son. And you can tell because, you know, real human children's expressions do change that fast their emotions do kind of flit across their faces like that and whereas i imagine that the animators on the new dumbo studied elephants you know in depth and rightly so and painstakingly yeah. <laughs> they, did, they did a good job on their own terms mm. it says everything you need to know that the original animators were looking at their own children and looking for that empathy and this film was a hit it made a profit it was a hit it was a commercial hit it was a critical hit i've, I've written down a quote here from one of the reviews it's, this is the New Yorker's critic, Alexander Wilcott, who said, this is the highest achievement yet reached in the seven arts since the first white man landed on this continent. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and in the New Republic, I've never seen anything to approach it, and neither have you, because there hasn't been anything. I mean, imagine a film getting reviews like that nowadays. Imagine the Dumbo remake getting reviews like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think those reviews, there are still the champions of this film. I think Leonard Moulton, famed film critic, has sort yeah. of said the pink elephant scene is you know, just one of the best sequences ever filmed, full stop. Yeah. So there are these champions out there, and, and it's yeah. glad to see that you're in that chorus. Yeah, yeah I'm in the chorus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love, I love this stuff. Pink elephants for life. So we're working towards our 90 Minutes or Less Film yeah. Festival. At this festival, we got the opportunity to present this uh, screening as you've chosen the film in whatever way yeah. you, you feel appropriate. What would you do at your screening of Dumbo? Firstly, I'd get Tim Burton there. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Bob Iger and, and all the Disney shareholders. And I'd sit them down and I'd ask them, have you actually watched this film? <laughs> have you actually, did you make any reference to this when you were making the new one? I'd probably set up a big tent for, for you know, for a sense of occasion on Victoria Embankment Gardens or something. Big tent, big screen in the tent. All the Disney shareholders. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe performing a pyramid or something. Maybe, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe we could play a few shorts beforehand, given that done by 60 minutes. We've got time. Yeah. I mean, the Blu-ray, I don't know if that edition has it, but the DVD I have has... Oh, no, maybe it's, it's the, another one, but some of the Disney DVDs have the shorts on it, and it's a great way to keep them alive. Show all of that, and then, yeah, tour, tour the big tent just like a circus around, <laughs> around the southern USA. Sounds good. So, a screening of Dumbo with a created shorts program yeah. to Tim Burton and the Disney shareholders. Yeah, yeah. And we'll come to rest on the lawn outside the Disney studios in California and, uh, yeah, basically picket them with their own film. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as well as just some celebrities in the audience there, yeah. if you could have one guest on stage to maybe introduce or to talk to you about the film, who would, who would you invite? I think all the animators involved with it are dead, but a lot of them actually lived till quite recently. If any of them are still alive, get them in. Even you know, we'll, we'll, even if they're a hundred years old. <laughs> yep. You could get an elephant in there as well if you want. Yeah, we could get an elephant. I don't know yeah. if elephants are allowed in cinemas. Maybe they could be allowed in this one cinema. Yeah, Carefully yeah, supervised need... and very well looked after. Are any course. picture house cinemas adapted to uh, elephant? Uh, only a handful. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, yeah. Dumbo is in the 90 Minutes OLS Film Festival, and it sounds like we're going to have quite a big screening of this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Huge tent. I think it's the shortest film in the film festival as well, so far. Yeah. Uh, which is quite good. A new, a new pod record. Yeah, well, I can come back with plenty of five-minute mm. experimental abstract animated experiments. Yeah. If you want <laughs> Thanks so much for talking to us today, Alex. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Where can people find out more about your work online? Yes, it's kind of strewn all over the internet because I'm a freelancer and I haven't got Mac together and created a personal website yet. So the best place would be to go to my Twitter, which is doodydoc, so D-U-D-E-Y-D-O-K. Or keep an eye on what I and my colleagues write at Short of the Week and Cartoon Brew. If you're into animation, those are the places. Fantastic. Thank you very much for talking to us today, Alex. And thank you, listeners, for listening. Please do like, favourite, subscribe the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. We're also now available on Spotify. You can also find us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com. The show is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick. And the artwork is by Sam Gilby. You can contact us on at 90minfilmfest on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you.